well, we're finishing up our series one conversation at a time, and, and we began each, each week with this one simple thought. Everyone has a personal and unique faith journey. Everybody in this room has a personal and unique faith journey, and we've been sharing different journeys uh, throughout uh, different video testimonies, and we have another video testimony this morning from Isaac and Judy Luganville. So, obviously, I grew up in this church since I was like one, two, one, two-ish, that age. Uh, and like Sunday school, we always kind of like went through like the three steps towards accepting Christ. So that was kind of like one of those things I had like always like heard about. And I think uh, it was one day my mom and I, were, my mom, Jayanna, and I were driving uh, to, I think it was like the Honda Wellness Center in like the Raymond area. And uh, I think my sister was trying to like she accepted Christ and I was kind of like, I want to do like the same thing. So my mom pulled over onto the side of the highway. I can remember the exact spot we pulled to. It was four or five or six, one of those ages. Uh, and I pulled over, my mom pulled over and she like led me to Christ. And it was like a really cool moment. I remember the day when Isaac accepted Jesus and it was, it was wonderful um, knowing that both, both of my children were, were um, going to follow Jesus and accepted him. And, and um, it's, it's the mother's desire, um, at least the Christian's mother's desire for her children. Um, that was great, um, but there were years in Isaac's life that were not so great. Um, Neil and I struggled um, with raising him. He was defiant about coming to church. He, when we, when he did come to church, sometimes he was rude um, to people. We thought, and it was very difficult to know um, the right thing to do. And. It was difficult to live with at home also, and we understood because of being adopted there were issues there um, that we didn't really understand, but trust me, there was hours of prayer for this for this boy. So throughout growing up, uh, there was at a point I learned that I was like adopted, that kind of like really like stumped me in a lot of things and brought a lot of like what if questions in my life during that time, so I like always had like a weird... Like, my dad and I weren't always, like, the closest. Like, I know my dad loves me, and I love him, too. But, like, at that age, you know, at that age time, like, I had, like, a very under hard time understanding what that kind of, like, love looked like. So, throughout growing up here, I uh, never really understood. Once we accept Christ, like, it's, like, done. Like, Ephesians, like, 1, 13 through 14, it's, like, really clear. It's, like, you know, and then when you believed, after, like, hearing, like, what Christ did for us, uh, that we're like included in him and that we're given like the Holy Spirit as a seal, you know, sealing us into our salvation as a deposit, guaranteeing our, guaranteeing our inheritance in the saints and God's possession, like making it pretty clear that it's like there's nothing that we can do. Like it's not like a basis of like works or anything. That's one of those things that I really struggle with because I felt like there was something that was either, it was either taught to me here or uh, either I might have like heard it the wrong way or since I heard it because I was young we're all like broken and sinful people, regardless of whether or not we accepted Christ, we've all been hurt by the world being born that way. So I think I might have taken it as kind of like if I like, you know, mess up once, I'm going to hell. Like I had to constantly repray for what Christ did on the cross to apply for my life. So that brought in a lot of insecurities. I had like a, a bad, I had a few like bad friendships and just like things that weren't really like the greatest. I had like a mutually not great sexual relationship with a girl when I was like 13 that kind of like caused my perspective to warp so 
once that kind of like ended in like a really bad spot for the both of us, it kind of like led me along with like the daddy issues to question like what my sexuality was. That was something that I've like been dealing with and like I thought at one point that God had made me like as a bisexual individual and they made me hate me. I didn't realize that, uh, you know, choosing like a bisexual lifestyle was a choice. I thought it was born the way and that God made me to hate me. So throughout the ages of like 13 to 16, I really struggled with that. And there are a lot of periods of like really suicidal thoughts, thinking that God like, you know, made me to destiny me to hell as like, you know, like a play toy. And he just like wanted to sit in there. And like, I, whenever I come to church, there are people that like constantly made me feel weird and like not, you know, welcomed or loved because I was different. Because like these things had happened to me and that kind of made me feel like really outcasted and alone. Definitely wasn't helpful. It hurt, and I forgive you guys for that, if you're, if you're there. Uh, but once like, I left the church, I ended up, I mean, I didn't really leave. I kind of like was in and out the door. I was like a toes-in-the-door Christian at that point. Uh, high school, I ended up getting in like a really bad like, group of friends through being like, involved in the like, anime club, and they were all, like a few of them were like, pagans, and a bunch of them were atheists, so that kind of caused me a lot more like question, like whether or not God was real, and if he like loved me or if the God of the Bible was God. So I kind of like ended up thinking that like maybe the, there's a God out there, but it might not be the God of the Bible because I don't think I can believe in a God that like doesn't love me for who I am, like doesn't like love me. Isaac did graduate from high school. Uh, those were very, very trying times. We knew that he was making choices that we didn't like, that were breaking our hearts. Um, but God pulled us through. I can say that our trust in God never wavered. Now, we did question his timing sometimes and wonder why it took so long um, to answer some of those prayers, but we, our faith actually, at least my faith, grew deeper. Just hanging on to God when there was honestly nothing else to hang on to. I ended up graduating. I would come out every now and then and uh, took a year off, really neat friends, so I started coming back to church, and that's when I like started like considering God again. But then when school started, I kind of just like, uh, when I was at CCD, I just kind of like completely forgot about God. So when I came back to CCD, I decided to apply to be an RA, and during that time, I was applying for it. These two girls in the church that I'm currently going to, called Xenos Christian Fellowship, reach, uh, decided to like reach out to me. And they both like had like conversations with me and like were asking me different things. And it was like the it was the Monday before we would have gotten back whether or not we got the RA position or not. I decided to go to a home church with my friend. Well, after an after home church hangout with uh, my friend Nicole. So I came back to the campus, and then that next Thursday I was like, okay, I want to go to like the, the like bigger meeting with them. And I found out that uh, a girl on campus and another group of girls decided to make a claim because they really didn't like me for some reason, uh, that I had sexually assaulted them. So that kind of rocked my world. I was suspended for two weeks, wasn't able to go out to a thing. Came back home with my mom, uh, like, you know, being like my caring mother and like the person like who like loves me like dearly. She kind of like reminded me, it's like, yeah, you know, like, there is like one person that can get you out of this. I know the situation seems really bad, but you can turn to God and ask for him to get you out of it, and he will. And I was like, okay, I don't really know if God's out there or not, but decided to call back out to him and be like, look, if you do this, I'll like follow you and I'll like drop everything and like do this. Isaac went to college, experiences happened, and there came a crisis in Isaac's life. And Neil and I did what we could humanly to help in that situation. But I remember telling Isaac, 
you know, we have done what we can to help you, but you will need to rely on God to get you through this. You got like a lawyer. Uh, I took a polygraph test, came up that I didn't do it. Uh, had a whole bunch of friends, including the two girls that had like written testimonies for me. Uh, character witness testimonies that, you know, it's like, this is like definitely not something that I would do. Everything. I'm like, God made it pretty clear once we got to the trial that I didn't do it. And God did get him through. Um, but not just get him through, he used that crisis in my son's life to bring him to a closer relationship with God. And as it was happening, I just knew in the back of my mind, Judy, this is what you've been praying for. This is the whatever it takes answer. When you're desperately praying, God, whatever it takes, get a hold of my son, this was it. Went back home, and then that night we got the email telling me that I wasn't found guilty of anything and that I was able to come back to school. So I went back to school that following Sunday. Abby, the other girl that was reaching out to me at the time, invited me and my friend Nicole to come to a game night with her home church. So we went to that game night, and I met some probably like the most amazing people I've met in my life, people who genuinely cared and like genuinely wanted to get to know me and like asked me a whole bunch of questions about what was going on. Yeah, so the guys there, they were super loving. Like the dudes in their home, the dudes in her home church, even though it was just a game night, like the guys and like even some of the girls I talked to that night were like super loving. It's been like really cool, like seeing like God use like that group of people in like my life and like really like showing me like what like actual like Christian friendships look like and like the importance of like personal relating. And like I think like that's like the reason why I like started to follow Christ because like I've it was being invested in by these people had been invested into by other believers and like these personal relationships like pushing each other towards Christ. I am so thankful that God got a hold of my son and brought him back to him. And Isaac is living for God, living for God, living for Christ in a way that is even beyond what I would have asked or imagined. Just tremendous. He has um, been instrumental in bringing others to Christ. He belongs to a church that studies the word. Isaac and I sit and discuss scripture together now. And it is truly, truly one of the greatest joys of my life. Would you give Judy and Isaac a hand for Sharon? You know, we're, we're sharing these stories for a number of reasons. The, the, the first reason is we, I, I want you to see that people have different ways to come to Christ, and, and it's, it's not cookie-cutter. And, and just because someone is not coming to a relationship the same way you did doesn't devalue what God is doing in their life. And then for some of you, you're praying for people, and you're praying for kids, and you're praying for grandkids, and you're thinking, well, they'll never come to faith. I think Judy's prayers and the story of Isaac should inspire us all to continue to pray for those that maybe we've given up on praying for. Everyone has a personal and unique faith journey. And these faith journeys, we, we arrive where we are one conversation at a time. Family and friends invest in us. And in the midst of these conversations and these encounters, we, we grow into the people that we become. We've been using Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In other words, God has placed the Holy Spirit within us so that we can be witnesses, we can bring glory to God.
That, that, that the Spirit allows us to give testimony to show who God is. And then the, the great commandment, um, or the, the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. And we've been, we've been talking about how this, this verse is really, it could read, in your going, make disciples. In other words, discipleship is not something we just casually do or just do when there's a program. But discipleship is the mark of a follower of Jesus. That in our going, wherever we find ourselves, in whatever conversation we find ourselves, we can be making disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus modeled this discipleship and he's going. And he did it through simple conversations. And, and I invited you to, to just begin tracking through the Gospels and see how Jesus was committed to conversations with individuals. Many times in the Gospel accounts, the, the Gospel writer will record more what the other person said than even what Jesus said. So discipleship is a commitment to conversation, not conquest. You know, we're not trying to get notches on our belt, but, but we're trying to lead people in conversation to show them who Jesus is. And we've been looking at this for the past uh, four weeks, three weeks. This is the fourth week, I believe. October 15th, we talked about spiritual. We've been using the woman at the well as, as our template. And we, we began with the idea that spiritual conversations begin in our physical world. In other words, in, in most situations, not all situations, we're, we're not going to be getting right into this four spiritual laws, but we'll, have, we'll talk and meet people where they are. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll meet a need. We'll, we'll, we'll meet them in, in an area where we have commonality. And it begins in the physical world. And, and then we saw in October, October 29th, that spiritual conversations move past surface matters to deeper matters. And this week, we'll look at one more thing that we need to consider in our spiritual conversations. And we've been tracking this through the woman at the well in John 4. At John 4, Jesus is going through Samaria, and he encounters this woman. He's left alone at a well. His disciples go to town to get food. While he's sitting at the well at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in the heat of the day, this woman comes up to draw water, not at a time that you would typically draw water, which tells you a lot about this woman that she She's avoiding the crowds. She comes up to draw water, and Jesus says, will you give me something to drink? And, and this conversation begins to progress. And, and Jesus says, if, you'd know, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. And, and they begin to have this conversation and back and forth. And, and then finally, Jesus reveals who she is. He says, he says, that's right, I understand. You've had four marriages, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And so Jesus goes into this deep understanding of this lady. He pushes her to this point of authenticity. And then beginning in verse 19 of John 4, John 4 the woman, after Jesus has pushed her to this level of authenticity, said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming. 
And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Lord, help us as we just unpack this for a few moments. What Jesus is doing here in this conversation. How he's moved this conversation from a drink of water to himself is astounding. But Lord, I believe it's a model for us. Help us uh, to understand and see what's going on here in this simple conversation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, there's a natural tendency when you begin to talk about spiritual things that I think happens in, in many people's life. And I think it's, let's talk about religion. <laughs> Uh, let, let, let's, let's, let's move this conversation from this deep conversation, this deep authenticity, and we see this with this Samaritan woman where it becomes a conversation of religions and comparative religions. All of us have encountered that. We've had moments in our life where we've had these, these deep, authentic conversations where there's these moments that, that it could turn into something very significant with regard to relationship with Jesus Christ, and it turns into a religious debate. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, you begin talking about Jesus, you begin talking about real things, and it becomes a, 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 a what and a why and a when conversation. You know, well, you know, I, you know, I used to go to church here, and, and, and the Baptists believe this, or the Presbyterians believe this, or the Catholics believe this, or the Bible. Why is this in the Bible, in the story in the Bible? Or, you know, you get into those questions that begin to deflect the conversation. There's good and bad in that, honestly. Sometimes it's good to have a good religious conversation and talk about those things. But sometimes I believe it's a diversion from what God is really trying to do. I believe in this story, the Samaritan woman is diverting Jesus from this authentic conversation about the status of her life into a conversation about religion. (laughs) There's nothing more frustrating than to be diverted from authenticity to something less than authentic. (laughs) Several years ago, Terry and I was, I I believe we were in the Bahamas, and we were coming back, and we were on a bus, and and, uh, and so we're, we're sitting with a group of people, and and, and they're sharing authentically <laughs> what had happened on their vacation. It was real. <laughs> you know, they, they had had a very good time on vacation, and they were just sharing away with Terry and I what they had done on vacation. And, and, and then it came to the question that I dread sometimes. Oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, <laughs> nothing kills a conversation quicker 
than my occupation. Let me tell you, it, it, and as a matter of fact, you know, sometimes I'll just say, oh, why do some public speaking so that I can continue in a real conversation? Because what happened here is what happens, and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden, the halos appeared. <laughs> And they began talking about church and all the things they did for their church, and it killed the conversation. They wanted to talk about religion. You know what? I wanted to talk about who they were authentically. I didn't want to have a religious debate. I didn't want to have something less than real. And too often, people will use religious conversations as a defensive tactic. To, to divert you from the real issue. Not always. Not always. I mean, there's an exception for every rule. But many times in my life and in your life, you've had these authentic moments that have been diverted to religious conversations. And Jesus does something interesting here. Jesus moves the conversation from religion very quickly himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus reveals, I am Messiah. And when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus doesn't do that very often. Most of the time, he's, he's kind of mysterious or, or, or evasive in who he is. But in this conversation with the Samaritan, unnamed Samaritan woman, Jesus says, I am Messiah. I am the Christ. And I think what we take from that is spiritual conversations move beyond religion to Jesus. That if we really want to have conversations that move people towards life, we've got to get beyond the religious debate to a conversation of Jesus. Who Jesus is. What he means. Who likes simple things? Raise your hands. I like simple things. The other day, Spencer and I was listening to an oldie station, and it was kind of weird. It was called an oldie station. I would have called them current hits. Uh, and uh, so, so they, they were playing a song. I can remember the song they were playing. It was a Rick Springfield song from the 1980s, and, the, and the, the lyrics are, I've done everything for you. You've done nothing for me. And I said, Spencer, that's why I liked music in my day. It was simple, and they even put the title, the, the lyrics in the title of the song. All you need to know is the title of the song, and you can sing almost every word. I like simple things. And there's some complicated things in, in, in spirituality. There's no, there's no question. But, but the story of Acts is easy. <laughs> it's one main line. It's, it's one title. It's, it's Jesus. The, the story of the books of Acts is Jesus. It, it's the theme of Peter's first sermon at Pentecost. He, he preaches this great message and, and, and does all this uh, with, with prophetic verses and, and prophecies and then he ends in Acts 2.36 Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It's Jesus. Peter's second sermon in Acts 3, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, 
the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact in which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And that faith which comes through Him has been been given Him this perfect health in the presence of you all. First sermon, Jesus. Second sermon, Jesus. Third sermon, Acts 4, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. First sermon, Jesus. Second sermon, Jesus. Third sermon, Jesus. Starting to see a pattern? Acts 5, Peter's once again before the Sanhedrin, and the subject of his sermon is Jesus. Acts 8, Philip meets with the Ethiopian eunuch, and the subject of his sermon is what? Jesus. On and on it goes. Folks, if we're going to have any effect in our spiritual conversations, it has to come back to Jesus. Jesus is the center of our faith. Jesus gives us life. Jesus gives us meaning. But here's the rub. (laughs) To share Jesus, we have to live like Jesus. (laughs) It's not easy, is it? Sometimes that's harder, uh, harder to do than to say. Paul writes, to live is Christ. Philippians 2, Paul writes, we are to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, I am sending my spirit to live within you so that we can have the mind of Jesus, so that we can be like Jesus, so we can share God by being like Jesus. Jesus. I worked for a, a lawyer for... Um, I must have worked for Wilbur for eight, nine years. And and Wilbur grew up in Cleveland. And he said he used to ride the train in uh, to to Cleveland when he worked, when he started working. And he said that um, he'd go through some poverty-stricken areas. And I I think he used to tell me this to make fun of me because he knew I was a Christian and, you know, he was agnostic and is just kind of a way to dig at me. I I could care less. But anyhow, he'd say, I would go down the, and I'd point my finger and just imagine I was making things better by pointing my finger. <laughs> and the truth is, most of us want to make things better, don't we? We want to leave this world in a better place. We want to leave this world in a better place for those we love. And, 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 and we want to be people 
who share Jesus and show Jesus because we believe, tell me, say amen. You guys haven't said amen all morning, okay? But say amen if this is true. We believe Jesus makes life better. Amen. Right? So, so, so I believe all of us are pointing our finger wanting to make lives better. And, and, and we believe lives are better through Jesus. Holy conversations begin in us not around us. In other words, if we want to have significant spiritual conversations, it begins in here, not out there. So somehow the Holy Spirit has to live in us in such a way that we become true salt and light. Is at the um, uh, pregnancy center banquet and, and the speaker said, said this phrase. He said... Um, we believe prayer moves the hand of God. And the people said, Amen. guess who the hand of God is, folks? You are. Prayer is not meant to unleash some invisible force, but prayer is meant to unleash the people of God. You know, God moves in our hearts, but he moves through people. And so he's given us this depository. He's given us this unique and special and, and sacred gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can be Jesus to our world. See, revival. And we want revival, right? Right? Yeah. Revival doesn't start in the world, but revival starts in us. And we know that. And so the question today is this. Is Jesus so much in you <laughs> that when you have these holy opportunities, you become salt and light just naturally? That, that you show Him, that you live Him, that, that the Spirit resides in you in such a way that these holy opportunities that God gives us you can show him. I'm going to ask Amy to come. And uh, You know, I believe the Word of God requires a response. Do you believe that's true this morning? <laughs> I, I think the presence of God requires a response. And so we're going to stand. You're going to stand. I'm going to pray with you. Uh, we're going to sing beautiful name. We just sang this two weeks ago. And uh, you're saying, Pastor, are we singing this all the time? No, it was a special request because I thought, man, what a song to sing when we're talking about Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, maybe as we sing this, you just want to give him praise. Maybe you're just, you hear the words of this song and, and, and you, you think about the wonderful, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus and you just want to give him praise at an altar or wherever you are. Maybe, maybe you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're pointing your finger at the world around you, your grandkids and your kids, your family and your friends, your neighbors. And the truth is, when I talk about having holy conversations, you don't even know where to start. And maybe you have this deep desire within you. I do. I do, that God can use me more and more 
to lead people into relationship with Jesus. And I don't want to get caught up in just being a religious person, but I want to be a person that the Holy Spirit's so alive in that people can't help but see Jesus in me. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've gotten Isaac, and you just need to come and pray for them as we think about what God can do. We're going to sing this, and then after we're done singing, uh, you know, our altars are always available. Not, nothing special about altars, but there's something special that happens at altars. <laughs> Does that make any sense? That, that when we step out, sometimes it's in that step out and that obedience and that bowing that, that somehow it's, you, you hear God a little bit clearer. So our altars are always available to you. But we can pray in our pews as well. So we're going to sing this. Let's bring the lights down. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this. After I get done singing, uh, I'm going to invite you to sit down and spend just a couple minutes in prayer. And then Pastor Bob's going to close us in prayer. Lord, help us to be obedient to you in these moments. You love us. Lord, you um, sent your son to die for us. And you sent your Holy Spirit to live within us. Not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that we encounter day by day. Help us, Lord, to be your witnesses. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.